One's from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing, we're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up, really. Welcome to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay, and my co-host, Hannah Hogan, is with me today. Hey there, Dusty. All right. Hey, Hannah. Hey. Well, we're excited to do this. We have some direction today. We ha- we're excited. Uh, we've been, you know, trying to decide what to do with the podcast, and I have some ideas uh, because of, you know, we're going to do, you know, a big advice to comics series. That's what we want to do because, you know, we've been doing it and, you know, I don't know what people like to listen to. I don't know if they like listening to me talk about country music. I don't know if they like uh, hearing about food on the road. I don't know if they like traveling or all the above. But uh, I feel like my heart is in trying to help people become comedians that would like to become comedians because I know that it's helped me. And uh, and I think that you can do comedy at all different levels and still receive benefits from it. Uh, there's no need to uh, be on a quest to be um, the most famous comic. And I think what we'd like to do is a series on comedy. But first, we're going to get a few of our normal things out of the way. And uh, because... Uh, well, we have exciting stuff coming up, and we've done exciting things. Well, this is a very exciting episode because this is episode number one of season two. Yes. If if my understanding is correct and I can edit it the right kind of way, this will be episode one of season two. Yeah. If you're listening and you're like, this seems like episode 56 of season one, <laughs> then that means I didn't know how to execute what I thought I knew how to execute. But in our hearts, it's season two, baby. Yes, exactly. And we're trying to go with a theme. People ask me sometimes, they go, what's your what's your podcast about? And I go, well, my podcast is about having a good time. <laughs> like my comedy and my life. It's about having a good time. But, uh, you know, I just want to be able to help people in some kind of way. But the thing that I, the only thing that I really know about is comedy. Uh, you know, there's several things that I know about, but the only thing that I want to talk about is comedy. I had said to Hannah earlier, you know, I was like, I used to sell pesticides. I was a pesticide salesman. And when I sold pesticides, I talked pesticides. I mean, I was still drinking back then, and I, I was very excited about the job because it was, uh, it was a career for me. So I was I was in bars, I was at parties, I'd be drinking, and I'd started talking to people about how to get rid of certain insects. I would hear them say, "Man, I got a mole problem out in my yard," and it would it would get me. I would perk up, and I would go, "Man, do I know how to help you get those moles out of your yard?" <laughs> and we would talk about it. And you know, I quit selling pesticides, and I never wanted to talk about them again. So now I'm in a job that I want to talk about. So I've decided that I, you know, I don't want to talk about certain things and there are things that I do want to talk about. 
I can just imagine you back in the day when you were talking about pesticides all the time, like picking up ladies, like, hey, I bet you could use a good fertilizer. Yeah. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but yes, I mean... You got any problem with termites? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I... Because I got the answer for you. A lot of attractive women come into Lowe's and Home Depot. And I would be there in my little gray vest uh, and my Crocs and my khaki pants trying to help them find pesticides. And I was not getting a lot of action from the customers coming into Lowe's and Home Depot. I wonder why. I don't know either. Probably because I was hungover, sweating, smelled like uh, an ashtray and uh, and an old beer bottle. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. You told me sometimes you drank at work as well. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was doing fine though. <laughs> you know what I mean. I was doing all right. All right. I did date uh, a couple of people that worked at Lowe's and Home Depot, and I yeah, you and did. I and I dated uh, one of the competitors uh, of my company one time, and uh, so I was doing fine. Mm. Just. Uh, uh, not as well as I'd like to have been doing. Yeah. But the point is, now I'm in a field, you know, because people will say this to me. They'll go, well, there's so many podcasts out there where people talk about comedy. We're so tired of comedy podcasts. But you know what? The great thing about it is if you don't like the podcast, you don't have to listen. And I want people to hear my perspective on comedy. Do you know what I mean? And I think that you're in a really interesting position because you're a working comedian, but you're not based on the coasts. So your uh, expertise lies in making it when you don't follow the traditional path of going to Los Angeles and New York City. Right. And there's, I don't know, newsflash folks, most people don't live in Los Angeles and New York City. Right. And I've been my whole life trying to gather information and put it together and try to figure out, um, you know, the the best way to live my life, the best way to approach comedy, and, the you know, the best way to do these things while also having a good time. It's not just a catchphrase for me. It became a catchphrase because it's how I want to live my life. If I'm not having a good time, then I figure I'm doing things wrong. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. no one can be having fun all the time. But you come you come close, Dusty. I'll right, tell you that exactly. And when I and you know that when I am not having a good time, I get stressed and I do not enjoy it. Yeah. So and I don't want to live my life that way, and I don't want to live a life that, um, you know that that, you know that I feel like there's certain uh, I don't know the word, but there's certain things that are set up, parameters that are set up, and it's like. You're supposed to hit these certain life goals by a certain amount of time, and you're supposed to live this kind of way, or you're a failure. Or you know, and I just don't believe that that's the way we're supposed to live. Now, you can hit those parameters, those life guidelines, and live that way and have a perfectly happy life if that's the way you want to live. But if it's not the way you want to live, then you're not going to fit into that, and you're never going to be happy. So I am saying, uh, forget all those things. Find what makes you happy and do that. And if there's some way that you can apply uh, my things for comedy to your own life, perfect, in, in, in some other art form. You know, you can say, well, I don't want to be a comedian, but I'd like to be a musician. I don't know about being a musician, but I think that you can apply these basic principles to being a musician and make that work. If nothing else, you can apply the attitude of, 
we're having a good time. Exactly. And we're trying to have a good time. You know, there was, I've been through times in my life where I wanted to be very artistic. And uh, I l- was reading a lot of Charles Bukowski poem books at one time. And, and I just was kind of obsessed with Charles Bukowski in the early 2000s. And uh, he, ha- he said something one time that it's like, if you want to be a writer, write. Do you know what I mean? Like so many people want to, well, they're like, I want to do this, so I need to do this, 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 and this. But it's like, no, if you want to do it, do it. Now, as you're doing it, there are guidelines. Because on, on, on the contrast, I used to take improv classes, and people would say, well, if it's improv, why do you need to take a class? And I'm like, well, there's guidelines to help you be successful in improv, to help you have a successful scene. You don't just go up and just start talking. Very rarely is anyone funny in that. In because because people would say, "Oh, Robin Williams, he just goes up there and wings it." But I'm also told that it looks like Robin Williams wings it, but never did. And in fact, stole many people's material. Yes, I heard that. Now I think the only comic that I know for sure, and this is what I'm told, and is that Sinbad just wings it. I think Sinbad's great. But well, there you have it, folks. Sinbad wings it. But if you can't be Sinbad, and most of us can't, let's right. be honest. Most people don't live on the coast. Most of us can't be Sinbad. And to be honest, all right, this is what I like. I liked Sinbad in House Guest, amazing, and I like Sinbad in First Kid, pretty funny. And then, I, but I liked Sinbad's stand-up special live at Aruba. Now it may have a different name, but that's where he was at in Aruba. And I just watched that as a kid, and I loved it. And I used to just talk about how much I liked that special. And then as an adult, after doing comedy for a little while, I went and watched it. And I was like, you know what? This is not as good. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, big reveal. (laughs) Whoa, shock. That's a shock. How did you recover from Uh, that? Well, I... I turned it off, <laughs> and but I specifically remember he was in uh, he was he was talking about being in a club, you know. And if you go up and ask a girl to dance and she says no, then you go ask another girl and she says no. And if you get turned down twice, you just got to leave the club, you know. And I just thought that was so funny. But when I was watching it, I was like, it's just not that funny. But I still love Sinbad, so if that means anything. I don't know if it does. Well, so. All of those things. That you listed about Sinbad, all his specials and his movies, I am not familiar with. So I'm just blown away that you even have that kind of information on Sinbad. Well, that reminds me. Right now, I'm going to go ahead and write down House Guest. Okay. And when we get done doing this podcast, uh, we're going to go on Amazon. A bit of a Sinbad binge. We're going to go on Amazon, and if it's on there, whether it's free or not free, we're going to watch that. You know what? I don't think I've ever seen anything with Sinbad. Sinbad is... He uh, was always just a guy in a picture wearing 90s clothes with his arms up. Well, if House Guest... All right, next week. This reminds me. We're watching House Guest, and then next week, I'm going to report on how I feel about House Guest now. But the the other actor in House Guest is Phil Hartman. Yeah. And And it's so funny. It's just... Gosh, it's good. So... Where where we're going? This is we're gonna go with where we're going first. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going? 
where they been, where they going, where, where they been, where we're going, where we've been. All right, so I'm going to Chicago this weekend. I'm going to the Comedy Bar in Chicago, and I'll be there June 21st to 24th, and I'm looking forward to that. So if you are a Chicagoan or, you know, a Michigan or Illinois person, um, come on out. I have several friends in Chicago uh, that I that really don't know not through comedy, and I'm going to send them your way. Okay, then. Uh, our friend Miles Huddle that we stayed with once, uh, he doesn't do comedy anymore that I'm aware of, but he's very nice, very funny. Yeah. I'm going to send him. My friend Ian, I used to work with at Hyman's. Okay. He came to see us when we did a show at, you remember when we were up there before with Miles, we did a show at... Uh, I don't know, Meredith Cotchell put us on a show. Yeah, Cotchell. The, beat, the Beat Kitchen. Yeah, The Beat Kitchen. They came, Ian and his wife came to that show. We met them there. Oh, yeah, and, that uh, was a really fun show. Yeah, and they're very nice. And uh, also uh, another girl and maybe her husband that I went to high school with lives there. Okay. And I'm going to send them. And then a guy named Ed Burton uh, that uh, he's a preacher in Chicago, and I met him in uh, St. Charles, Illinois. Great. At a show. So. I can't can't wait to meet uh, the spider web of your childhood. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to send them your way. All right, and I'll be uh, this Thursday. Uh, I'll be going the June 20th. I'm going to go to Utah Valley uh, University in Orem, Utah. Wow, and that's about an hour south of Salt Lake City, Utah. I've never been to Utah. I've been to the airport, but never actually been to Utah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm doing a college gig. It's a college gig specifically for students that stayed to school, stayed at school for the summer. So uh, I'm hoping to bring some joy to their life. I'm looking for a full report on Mormon culture. Yeah, I'm hoping to bring joy to their life. And then June 21st, the next day, will be my two-year anniversary to my wife. Oh, that's me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be married for two years on June 20th, and I'll be flying into San Francisco, California for Clusterfest. And that is a, a, a comedy festival put together by Comedy Central. It's quite an honor to be invited, and I'm very excited to be there. And I think it's going to be good because I've been seeing sponsored ads by Clusterfest on my Instagram for about a month. Yeah. So. I'm pretty excited about it. I don't have the details on my shows. On my website, DustySlay.com, I do have two of the shows on there. I have one additional show uh, that I need to add to my calendar, so be on the lookout for that. I don't know. If you live in Utah and you're a listener, I don't know if you're allowed to come to the show because it's out of college. But if you hit me up at DustySlayComedy at gmail.com, I'll I'll try to get you the best details I can. I'd love for you to come. And um, so then I'll be flying back. And also I want to say, in addition to Clusterfest, I'm not just trying to, you know, toot my own horn and whatnot. But I did get voted uh, in Variety Magazine Top Comics to Watch. Wow. And uh, uh, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And I'll be going back uh, to Just for Laughs Comedy Festival this year in Montreal. And that's so exciting. I'm so excited for you. It's I, I don't hear of a lot of people who get new faces in the next year. They get to go again well, like it's, right away. It's very exciting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate these people uh, liking my comedy so much. I do, too. And uh, yes, and uh, but also, if you're listening from Dayton, Ohio, or anywhere in Ohio, I'm very sorry. I had to cancel uh, my. I didn't cancel it, but I had to reschedule it. Uh, it's gonna. My dates in Dayton, Ohio, at the Funny Bone are now moved from June 26th 
27th, 28th, I think is when it was, to January 2020. So six, six months away. I'm coming. I've, 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 you know, I've been... I, weirdly, I've had to cancel several Ohio gigs, and I like Ohio a lot, and uh, so I hate that I've had to do that, but I'm looking forward to coming back. We're going to come back with a bang, and when I'm back, it's going to be exciting. We're going to have a good time. Yeah. So, that being said, where I've been, I went to Boston to a, to a comedy club called Laugh Boston. I've never been to Boston before. I didn't see a lot of the city because I was very tired. I got bit by a tick earlier in the week. I was worried that I had Lyme disease Yeah. because I, I had two flight delays. I was jet lagged. And then I, I got in Thursday. I did a show. It went well. I had a good time. And then I woke up. I got to sleep about 1230, woke up at 530 to go do radio. And as I was sitting there doing radio, I got a little lightheaded. And I noticed that, you know, what happens, I got bit by a tick. And then I pulled it off. It was under my under uh, underarm. And I pulled it off. I put a little tea tree oil in there. And I got a little history with using oils and burning up my skin, right? So a few days later after putting, I don't, I'm not scared of ticks. I've been bitten by lots of ticks. They don't bother me. But a few days later, I noticed that I had like a rash around the tick bite. And I was, and then I started getting, uh, a couple of days later, started getting lightheaded in this radio studio. And I was like, oh man, this is it. I have Lyme disease. And then I started looking up things on it and it says, oh, you get real tired, get real sluggish. And I was like, that's me. And, uh, but I was like, I've been tired for so long. How long have I had Lyme disease? And I think what happened, because everything's clearing up, I think that I burned my skin once again with tea tree oil. I've been known to put tea tree oil on my face. I get a little zit, put it on there, and next thing you know, I got a, a giant red splotch. I burned myself up with oils. I've done it quite a bit. And, and he doesn't seem to learn his lesson, because he'll do it once, and then be like, that was a bad idea, now i got to yeah. go do a show with a dang cherry face, tomato yep. face. And then two months later, you're mixing oils on your face again. And it's know. like, damn, boy, didn't you know? I know. I don't learn. Yeah. And, you know, but also, Hannah did one time, we have, uh, you know, you have the little tinctures of, of oils that you, you know, you squeeze it and it pulls it up into that dropper. And there's oil of oregano. Now, oil of oregano is another oil that burns pretty bad. I put it on my skin. I really burnt myself up. Uh, one time I got had uh, had it on my hands because I was putting it on my face. It's supposed to be good for for um, uh, acne and stuff, so I was putting it on my face. And if people who've known me for a while, for a long time, my face was really broken out, and it was a mixture of uh, me eating terrible and continuing to put uh, essential oils on my face. And I was just, you know, it's it's all good now. And uh, I will admit that I went to the doctor, and they actually gave me some stuff that that helped me. I went to the now uh, your skin looks so good. Yeah, I went to the uh, dermatologist finally, and uh, well, they fixed me up, but. One time I was putting oil of oregano on my nose, and then I don't know what happened, but I touched my private area, okay. and uh, it was uh, on fire. And I could, and it's like you put the water on oil of oregano, and it almost like it's like it dilutes it and just spreads it around. It was rough. I was really struggling, and so Hannah, uh, you can drink oil of oregano. You can do just a couple of little drops of it and drink it, and it'll help you if you're getting sick. It'll help you get over the sickness. But Hannah didn't read it that well, and she did an entire full dropper tincture, put it in a thing. I drank it. I think it burned 
uh, my entire esophagus <laughs> all the way down. I already have a lot of heartburn problems, acid reflux, and it was like it, we, we drove down to Tuscaloosa, did a show down there. Very fun, but I was burnt up. I have a lot of regrets. <laughs> yeah. All right. So while I was in Boston, the shows were very fun. I enjoyed the comics that I work with, Al Park, Steve Donovan, very funny. Uh, my friend... Uh, my friends from uh, Tampa came up, and Kevin and Victoria came up. I knew them from Side Splitters in Tampa. They moved to Boston. They came up. We hung out. We had a good time. Um, and then after a couple of shows, people would come up to me, and they would say, Hey, I want to get into comedy. How can I get into comedy? What do I need to do? And then I want to be able to tell them, Go listen to episode so-and-so of my podcast, but I haven't labeled my podcast correctly. I don't know what advice I've given on what podcast. And I want to be able to direct people when they ask me. Someone messaged me the other day, how do I get into comedy? I'm looking to get into comedy. People message me all the time, and I want to help. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I want to call a 10-part series on how to become a comedian. Season 2, baby. Yes, episode 1, season 2, advice to comics, Coming out with a bang. Boom. 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 All right, so. Advice. Advice to comics. Week one. <laughs> this is incredible. Dusty, I mean, Dusty's got a notepad with notes, which I think that's maybe the first time I've ever even seen him with a notepad. <laughs> I mean, he was writing today in a way I'd never even seen him write. So this is exciting. Well, what I've wrote now, I've wrote specifically something for week one, and I will write stuff for um, every week. Uh, but I've also got some advice that I think is general advice, but I'm not sure I want to give the general advice until we start with week one. Until we start with this. I, I, I'm, I'm so excited. All right. Now, Hannah, if there's any part of this that you don't agree with uh, at any point, uh, you know, jump in. I'm going to listen to you with a positive attitude, and I will add things if necessary, okay. and only if necessary. And then we have a couple of music uh, people that we've been listening to that we'd like to share at the end of the podcast. Um, and also, uh, I've been getting some suggestions for top five country songs. I do appreciate that. Keep those coming. I am going to get in. I'm, I'm going to get in here one day, and I'm going to just crank out a bunch of them, and then I'm going to start unloading them. Because I'm, I mean, the Grand Ole Opry is my friend now, so I need to get in with them. Uh, you know what I mean? I need to capitalize. All right, so here we go. Week one, how to get started doing comedy. I think that before you decide, you've you, all right. So you're sitting around and you're like, you know what? I want to do comedy. I want to be uh, a, a comedian. So this is what I want to do: is how to take you from never doing comedy to standing on stage in front of people telling jokes. That's my goal here: is to have you go up there. And be as successful as you can be right away. But how do I do that? I'm just a car salesman. Well, first question that I'd like to ask is, and it's a very simple question, are you funny? I think I'm really funny. Have you ever, you know, (laughs) I don't know if this helps. (laughs) Okay, I won't. I thought, oh, that might be a fun angle. It is a fun angle, but I don't know if it helps with with that. But it's like, you know, are you funny? Are, Are you, have you been funny for your friends? Now, being funny for your friends won't necessarily mean that you'll be funny as a comedian. But if you're not funny for your friends, you're not funny for your coworkers, you're not funny for people around you ever, Maybe this is not the path for you. 
Now, I'm not telling you that to discourage you. I'm just saying, you know, it's like I always use it a basketball analogy, but I've never been that good at basketball. I'm not that good. I'm decent at shooting, but I'm not very tall. I'm not good at dribbling. I'm not all that fast. It's probably not for me. Yeah, I could work at it over and over again, and I could I could develop the skills necessary to be adequate, I think. I would never make the the NBA, but I could be an adequate basketball player. But why even do it unless you're just trying to break out of, out of your shell? And that leads me to the next question. Why do you want to do comedy? What is it that drives you to do comedy? Uh, because, you know, I mean... I don't think there's a wrong answer here. You know, maybe you're a guy who's having trouble meeting women and you thought, hey, if I get up on stage and I'm funny, I might meet women. I don't think that's a bad idea. Uh, I don't think it's a bad idea if you're like, hey, you know, I, I speak at work a lot and I get pretty nervous about it. I think if I could, you know, do a little stand up comedy, it might help me break out of my shell. I think you're right about that. I think that stand up comedy can work for so many ways. And then the last question I'd want to ask is, is there comedy where you live, right? If you're in a city, like if you're in Chicago, New York, L.A., any big city, there's going to be comedy somewhere. So now some of this will, 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 you know, uh, for certain people won't make a lot of sense, especially if you've done comedy already. Uh, It'll make sense, but it'll seem like it's the obvious thing to do. But uh, for someone who's never done comedy, uh, a lot of people don't even know open mics exist, So what I would do is I would go on Google and I would Google open mics in your town. And chances are you're going to find a lot of things that aren't active anymore. You could also go on Facebook and go comedy groups in whatever town you live in. You could go uh, in Nashville here. We have uh, a Facebook group called Hey, I'm Coming to Nashville. And that's for people to post in looking for shows. In Nashville, we also have a website called NashvilleStandUp.com. I don't know how up-to-date it is these days, but it used to be very up-to-date, very helpful. There's also another website called Bad Slava, B-A-D-S-L-A-V-A.com. Bad Slava, usually not up-to-date, but I bet you'll find one or two things on An that. email that you can follow up yes. and someone can give you more information. And someone will find you there. And then uh, I would say do not expect to get paid. Uh, I used to have people email me that. They would go, hey, I want to come do your open mic. How much will I get paid? And uh, you won't get paid anything. If you live in New York or L.A., chances are you might even have to pay to do the open mic or at the very least buy a drink. So I would the first thing I would do, honestly, is I would – I would study. I would start studying comedy. I would start watching the greats. You can watch your new and current favorites in comedy, but go back and watch the greats because I feel like what's happened now is, you know, we're so like into comedy culture that people have been able to do a different kind of comedy and gain fame because people are in, you know, they're really into comedy. But I think that going back and studying the greats, the people that that really were set up punch, set up punch, will help you just get a a basic uh, outlook on doing comedy. You know, if you're watching Jerry Seinfeld, you're watching Rodney Dangerfield, you're watching, um, you know, Richard Pryor. I mean, all these guys are the old school guys that that really, you know, um, paved the way for comedy. Even even going back as far as the '90s, as far as I'm concerned, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, um, Sam Kennison, Sam Kennison, Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks, yes, Bill Hicks. I mean, Mitch Hedberg. 
But if you're going to, don't try to be these people. Uh, me and uh, a friend of mine were just talking the other day, and we said, whenever a comic shows up to an open mic and says their favorite comic is Bill Hicks, they're probably going to be bad. Because, Same with Doug Stanhope. Yeah, yeah. So this is what I would do. I would I would order and read the book Comic Insights, The Art of Stand-Up Comedy by Franklin A.J. That's A.J. A-Y-E. I think it's a great book. I think he has some really good advice uh, on writing comedy, on ways to approach it. I think it's really, really good. And also, do your own research on how to write a joke. There's some basic you know, concepts of writing a joke because what a lot of people want to do is they want to go, you know what, I had a, a party last week. And, uh, you know, my friend did something really stupid. And that story is just so funny that I just want to go tell it. And it may be. You may be able to go tell this story and everybody in the room just go, man, that was a great story. But chances are you're not going to get a lot of laughs. You're going to kind of end with, well, I guess you had to be there sort of thing. So that's not the way to go. Don't do that. Uh, Study how to write some jokes. Study the great comics, watch them, see what they're doing, see how they're moving, see how they're delivering a joke, and, and then do your own research on how to write a joke. And I have a joke uh, called The Heat Index that was on my first album, Making That Fudge. And now I would just like to play that joke right now. You guys have heard of The Heat Index, right? Of course you have. No one ever answers, but everyone's heard of it. <laughs> It's where the weatherman comes on TV and he says, looks like it's going to be 80 degrees tomorrow, but it's going to feel like 100, you know, because of the heat index. I was like, man, that's pretty convenient. Wish I could use that for things in my life, you know? Like if I'm going to take a girl out on a date and we get back to my car, I'm like, listen, I know it looks like I drive a 1992 Ford Tempo, (laughs) but it's going to feel like a Ferrari, you know? Because of the heat index. <laughs> uh, if we're out, we're having some drinks, and I'm like, listen, I know it looks like I'm trying to get you drunk, but it's going to feel like we're getting to know each other. <laughs> huh? You know, because of the heat index. Uh, if we get back to my place, and I'm like, uh, listen, I know it looks like I live in a trailer, it's going to feel like a double wide. <laughs> you know. Because of the heat index. Okay. That joke, basic rule of three. It's a basic rule of three. And so I want to—I just want to kind of break down this joke. It's a rule of three, right? And part one to me, and this is, I'm not saying that my joke is so great. I'm not in here trying to be like, this is the perfect joke. This is how you write a joke. I'm just trying to explain how I came about this joke and how it all went, right? Because one of my recommendations is also, and, and, and people get very sensitive about this, but I, I recommend writing clean. At least in the beginning, try to write clean. And uh, that doesn't mean that you have to, it doesn't have to be so clean that you can do it in church next week. But, uh, you know, just don't rely on vulgarity because if you're relying on that, then that's going to become a crutch for you throughout. But if you can learn to write a joke without it, then you can cuss later. There's plenty of time to add in all the creative stuff you want to add later. You know, Build the basic frame and then put whatever you want on it. But learn to write jokes and learn and know that you can be funny without that stuff. And I'll say that I've heard 
other successful comedians say that same thing. Pete Holmes said that he wrote clean for several years and never and didn't even think he would ever write dirty. Uh, so he learned how to write clean, and then later on, if need be, he he would crass it up. But he learned to write clean. And Joey Diaz, who is a you know ostensibly dirty comedian, uh, I, I heard him say on his podcast uh, that he always recommends to all of his features and young comics that he brings on the road with him that when they're starting out, they have to learn how to write clean, and you have to yeah. learn how to do that. And that's and you got to learn how to do that first before you know you you just rely on. Uh, blue comedy. Yeah, I think it's almost like graduating. Like you, you, you're earning your stripes in a way. Like you start off and you and you prove that you can write a joke and you prove that you can be funny without that. And then as you move up in it, I mean, like, but but Hannah's right. I mean, I don't know what Joey Diaz asks in his comics, but there are a lot of dirty headliners out there that want their features to work clean. So. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people, and and as you move through the open mic scene, you're going to find a lot of people that are, you know, quote unquote cool in the scene, uh, and they're going to make fun of comics that work the club. They're going to make fun of comics that work clean. They're going to do this and that for whatever reason. I don't know why they do it, but for whatever reason they do it. And but working clean is going to help you to be able to establish uh, something for your for your future as a comic. Now, again, going back to why do you want to do comedy? If your hope is, you know, you don't care. You don't ever want to be anything more than than just doing the local scene and you're happy with it. You got a great day job. You're just looking to get out and have some fun. Well, do whatever you want. But if you're looking to be a comic, this is what I would say. So my basic rule of three with the heat index joke, part one of that joke where I say, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I start the joke off by saying, hey, you know, you heard of the heat index. That's where the weatherman says uh, it's going to be 80 degrees tomorrow, but it's going to feel like 100, you know, because of the heat index, right? And I say uh, that's pretty convenient. I wish, you know, I wish um, I could use that for things in my life, right? So now I've established a comparison because that's what one way of jokes to go about it is that's like this. Right, So you, you have something and you say, that's like this. But it's important for when you make that comparison, that's like this, it needs to be like that. It needs to at least ring true. Uh, it doesn't have to be an exact science, but at least ring true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I say, uh, I know it looks like, so I say, I wish I could use that. Like if I'm out on a date, right? And uh, so when I say I'm out on a date, everyone thinks I'm going for the dirty. They think I'm going, I know it looks like I got three inches, but it's going to feel like a, you know what I mean? And it, it, But that's the obvious thing. So go the other way. Don't go. Chances are the first thing that comes to your mind is the obvious thing. Think outside the box a little bit. So right, I say, we get back to my car and I'm like, hey, I know it looks like I drive a 1992 Ford Tempo. Right, so 1992 Ford Dempo. I, what I'm trying to do is describe the ugliest car I could think of. If you don't know what that car looks like, Google 1992 Ford Tempo. I think it's a very ugly car. I had a friend that drove one for a while. Uh, it's ugly, right? It's 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 90s cars are not old enough to be classics, really, but they're uh, they're just in between being classics and being cool. The cars went through. It's like a it's like a awkward teenage stage for a cars. The nineties were, and so you have this nineteen ninety two Ford Tempo. I could, See, that's a comparison that feels true. Yes, yes, but it could be you know 
Uh, it could be a hoopty, right? I could say, I know it looks like I drive a hoopty, right? But no, get detailed with it. Details are fun. You don't want to be too wordy in a joke, but details can be fun. So I know it looks like I drive a 1992 Ford Tempo, but it's going to feel like a Ferrari, you know? And then you get a laugh. You'll get a laugh. And I go, because of the heat index, extra laugh, right? Because we're also establishing that we've said, uh, uh, I know I know, it looks like it's going to be 80 degrees tomorrow. So that looks like what things are. It looks like a Ford Tempo, looks like it's 80 degrees. But it's going to feel like 100, going to feel like a Ferrari because of the heat index, right? So they match up. And so uh, this is fun. And uh, so part two you, now, uh, uh, part two of the rule of three, you're setting the pattern, right? So you've already said, looks like this, feels like this, heat index. So now you're just repeating that. It's basically the same as part one, little different. I say, uh, um, I know it looks like I'm, uh, I know it looks, we're out at a bar, we're having some drinks. And I go, I know it looks like I'm trying to get you drunk, but it's going to feel like we're getting to know each other, right? Because of the heat index. Now, is that one exactly true to form with everything? I don't know. But you're setting a pattern now, right? So it's not not much you could argue and say, that's not like the beginning. So you can't really argue with it, but... It does feel true. It feels I, true. I think it's really funny. All right, and who hasn't been out on a date where you're get, you're trying to get drunk, you're trying to get your date a little buzzed? I don't mean like some kind of date rape situation, but I'm saying you're trying to get a little buzzed so that we're like, you're having a good time, right? People are familiar with dating etiquette. Right, right. So, but you're like, but it's going to feel like we're going to know each other because anyway. And then you say, because of the heat index. Now comes... Part three. Part three of the rule of three. It's going to be the same pattern, but a little misdirection in there. You want a little twist in there. So you say, uh, you know, and then we get back to my place and I'm like, hey, I know it looks like I live in a trailer. And for me, I have a lot of trailer jokes. But when I would, I don't do the heat index in my set anymore. But when I would do that, I would always do this joke before I did any trailer park jokes. So that the fact that I'm talking about living in a trailer is a laugh in itself. It's a bit of a reveal. So I say, I know it looks like like I'm going to live in a trailer. And then I go, but it's going to feel, and, and, and the listener, chances are they're thinking I'm going to go a mansion or, or a, you know, a, a, I don't know, something nice, right? They think I'm going to go fancy. But that's where you throw a little twist in there and says, hey, but it's going to feel like a double wide, right? Because a double wide, as you know, is just uh, a bigger, nicer uh, trailer. <laughs> right, exactly. So, And that's your idea of a step up. Right, and it and it, it is my idea of a step up. I mean, growing up in a trailer, I was envious of people that lived in double wides. I was like, dang, they fancy. At the end of my trailer park, both ends, two people that lived in uh, trailer parks are, are, are double wides, and I was so jealous. One guy lives in a double wide, had an above-ground pool and a laser disc player. I was like, dang, my mom works at a VHS plant. You know what I mean? Mm. We are never getting a laser disc. And so you say, but... Uh, You've shown them, though. Yes, I did. And uh, I say, uh, and, and so you do that and you say, but it's going to feel like a double wide because of the heat index. And now, as I've done the joke, you know, more, it's not on the album, but I would say stuff like, plus we just got that one window unit in there, so it's going to be hot, you know. And uh, experts call that a tag. Call that a tag. So you get your laugh. So in that third part, we're doing a three-part joke where we're breaking down the heat index. And then we say... I live in a trailer. Laugh. But it's going to feel like a double wide. Laugh. Because of the heat index. Laugh. Plus, we just got that one window unit, so it's going to be hot in there. Laugh. So you're getting all these laughs just off taking a little time, breaking it down. And 
you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna write that joke right out of the gate. Chances are, because even that joke took me a long time to write because I was drinking when I came up with this concept. So this is why I think it's a it's more good advice to actually have a physical notebook pocket size that you write down your ideas in and then keep them. And then if you go try your joke and it doesn't work the first time, just keep it. Just keep it. Work on it. Try to change up some things. Because to be honest with you, the first time I wrote that joke, I did do the penis size comparison. And then I did do, uh, I I remember saying, I know it looks like I sleep on a bunch of trash, but it's going to feel, you know, so I tried a bunch of examples until I found the right ones. And I mean, I use the rule of three a lot. Actually, I have a joke about autocorrect. I use the rule of three. I have a joke about my hat. I use the rule of three. The rule of three is so fun. Like sometimes, you know, when I'm doing a set list, I never put those together. I'm never like, I'm going to do these jokes together, you know. But the rule of three is so, so helpful. And so is the rule of that's like this. Like, you know, it's like, it's just a great comparison. Another thing, uh, I think I... Somebody told me that Bill Burr said this, and I think it's great advice. Anytime that you're going to write a joke and you're going to say you, instead, just say me or I. Like, And there's no need to ask the audience. Once in a while, I'll do this, but there's no need to ask the audience, you, get, you guys know about this? Do you know about this? You don't have to. Just do the joke. And even if you do say you know about this, don't expect an answer and don't need an answer. My my opinion is don't write any jokes that are relying on the audience giving you what you want. Just expect that the audience is never going to tell you the right thing. If you say, hey, tell me uh, what kind of house do you live in, right? Don't expect them to give you the answer you want. So just write jokes on your own. Uh, and then go watch live comedy. If you have a club in your town, talk to the club. A lot of clubs, I know Zanies will do that. If you're an actual comic, if you've actually been working it, uh, they'll let you in to watch shows. If the show's not sold out, they'll let you watch. Uh, if you do get in to watch, uh, understand that you might be expected to buy something. You might be expected to buy a beer or some food. You know, Get in the habit of doing that. Come in. Like If you're going to go, hey, I want to go watch some live comedy, uh, maybe don't eat before you go. Uh, be ready to buy something and then tip well because I've I've said this before but it's like in, in, in the bars that you're doing comedy in in the clubs that you're doing comedy in the best way to get those people to like you and to want you to be around honestly is to you know be respectful and be nice so if you're if you're buying things you're tipping you're paying attention you're not being a disruption you're actually there to learn the club is going to like you and appreciate you and then all you have to do is follow up with being funny and eventually you may get some stage time but that will be for another week we're just talking about getting into comedy so little teaser teaser but if you've never done comedy before don't don't do the thing where you go to the club and you say, hey, I'm a comic. You can say, I'm looking to start getting into comedy. I'd love to come in here and just try to watch some comedy. I don't know if that'll work for you. You can try it, though. But if not, uh, pay the money. See some shows. You don't have to pick the expensive ones, but some tickets are $15, $20. That's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, uh, and, and go and, and watch and write jokes and then when you're ready, go tell those jokes. But go to open mics and all right, and so now now you're there. Now you're in the open mic and you're going, All right, I've got my jokes written, I've worked on them. Do you think that was a sufficient 
uh, joke lesson exercise? I thought that was so great. Thank you. So now you're there. Now you've worked on your jokes. You've decided that you got some. You don't have to have five minutes worth of jokes. Uh, five minutes is probably the most you're going to get in an open mic, but it's not uh, a minimum. Like you don't, like the host says, uh, all right, you get five minutes. You can do two if you would like. Uh, you know, so don't feel like that you have to have five minutes worth of jokes. And if you just kind of want to get your feet wet, just write a couple of jokes and go up and say, hey, I'm new to this. I'd like to try these jokes I wrote. And then don't be too hard on yourself, but be honest with yourself. But it's your first time, and you're not supposed to be amazing. You, who's amazing at anything they do for the first time? I mean, I imagine LeBron James was great the first time he ever touched a basketball. But with, with very few examples, that's very few examples. Most people are not that good at something the first time they do it. Uh, I was just listening to some Dwayne Allman today. I imagine Dwayne Allman was great the first time he touched a guitar, but most people aren't. Do you know what I mean? So you're going to go up. Chances are you're not going to be very good, but you just want to shoot for some laughs. You just want to try to get a few laughs. So just just plant your feet, get into it, feel comfortable. Don't fiddle with the mic. Take the mic out of the mic stand. Hold it there and tell your jokes. Don't get wacky. Don't watch, you know, don't watch a Rory Scoville uh, on on Conan and go, you know what, I'm going to walk around in the audience. I'm going to get Rory Scoville is great at those things. And you may be, too, eventually. But don't be Rory Scoville out of the gate. Rory Scoville wasn't Rory Scoville out of the gate. Right. Exactly. You have to. Yeah, you build it up. And another thing that helped me, um, and I think that this is really true, is 99 percent of audiences want you to make them laugh. Yeah. Especially if they paid. They they they're there to laugh. Totally. And sometimes audiences will even fake laughter just to encourage you. So when you go up there, go up there knowing everyone's rooting for you, you know, and that you're going to do your best. And if you're just starting out, just trust that that's they're all there to laugh and have a good time. Right. And and the and the comics that make it look so easy, uh, guaranteed, they've put a lot of work in to make it look so easy. You know, I mean, all of these comics. Like, I wish that Bill Cosby uh, didn't do what he did because he's a great example of. That's what she's said. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but it's like early on, I watched some stuff with him, and he was funny. But he was not the comic that he ended up being about Midway. (laughs) Definitely not the comic that he ended up being. But I I just that's a bad example, but it's like that's a person that I that that you could see the beginning of what he was doing on TV. The evolution. The evolution. You could see what was happening and it's like the comics that make it look so easy, they've really worked at it. So there's a lot that goes into it. And you're not supposed to be great right away. And you're learning something new. Anything that you're learning at some point you're not going to know as well as you will begin to know it. And take heart that everybody that you're watching on the internet, on Netflix, their five-minute specials on the Tonight Show, these are polished acts that 
look really good with an audience that is primed, a production. Um, all of these comedians work very closely with production coordinators to get their sets exactly where they need to be. Sometimes these comedians have been working on those jokes for years. Yeah. So you're looking at a final product, not I did, an open mic. I did comedy for 10 years before I got on The Tonight Show. You know what I mean? Like, And I wasn't working on those jokes for 10 years. Don't think that. But uh, I did. I messed around with it for 10 years before ever showing up there so it and i did a lot of these open mics and i and i i would say don't be afraid to to take your notebook up if you need the notes but i would also you know know your jokes well enough that you've written and that you've prepared so that you're not reading them off paper because that joke is not gonna be as funny read off the paper as it will be if you have it memorized and you just say it the first few times, the first several times I did comedy, I was completely memorized because I knew what my jokes were, I knew where the funny part was at, and I needed to execute them correctly. There's a siren going by. And the only way I could execute them correctly was to have it memorized. And as I went on, I got more, you know, I could become more off paper, and it took me a while to become comfortable, but. Uh, just think about that. Um, be honest with yourself. Uh, what worked? What didn't work? Uh, and don't 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 aim for groans. Don't write any joke where the audience goes, "Oh!" Like if the audience groans, then you did the joke wrong. Rewrite it. It doesn't. You don't have to change everything. I do a lot of jokes about growing up poor, right? And oftentimes I get jokes from people that are like, "Oh, I get those reactions." When I get those reactions, even now I go, "Okay, I gotta, I gotta rework that joke because that's not the reaction I want." I'm not going for sadness uh, because I, you know, it's it's true in my life that my parents were divorced. I grew up in a trailer. Uh, we were kind of poor, but it's like my life wasn't sad. Do you know what I mean? So it's like I don't want my stories to come across sad. So I want them to come across as funny. You know, I mean, my, you know, my brother-in-law did eat a uh, uh, a fishing worm off the floor because he thought it was a gummy worm, right? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I I did used to raise rats. Uh, <laughs> I uh, didn't know what Chinese food was and that we could access it for a very long time. I mean, in some audiences that you go in front of, affluent audiences, awe when you say you grew up in a trailer. <laughs> right, right, right. So you may get that, but what Aww, I... Aw, he was poor. But when I get groans, I mean, it, honestly, I'm so hard on myself with jokes sometimes that one time getting a groan uh, could make me, from one person in the audience, from one idiot in the audience, could make me not tell that joke anymore. I had a joke that I was doing where I would say uh, my parents used to smoke in the car. I still do that joke, but I would say they'd like to get that third hand smoke going. You know, I say that's the most deadly. That's where they inhale the second hand smoke and then breathe it out again. That's got little bits of lungs floating around in it, right? <laughs> and this guy goes, "Oh, that's disgusting." And and it was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This was at like a private event, basically, and. Uh, I was like, man, that guy is such an idiot. But since then, I've never told that joke. Yeah. I still do the third-hand joke, but I never say the little bits of lungs anymore. Uh, maybe I'll bring it back, though. I made you laugh. And uh, 
and aim for laughter. Don't aim, don't aim for claps either. Don't aim for things that you agree with. It, I recommend don't do them political jokes, but if you want to do it, that's your business. But aim for laughter. If you want to do a political joke, don't aim for a joke that, that the audience has to agree with your point of view. Just write a joke that makes them laugh. Write something fun. If you're going to write about people and roast them, roast them like you would your friend. Like, don't try to hurt their feelings. Roast them in a fun, cool way. Yeah. The stand-up comedy stage is not a soapbox. Right. It's not a soapbox. It's not a... It's not... People say that comedy is therapy, right? And this is what I say to that. I think comedy can be therapeutic, but the difference is when you do therapy, you pay someone to listen to you. When you do comedy, people are paying to listen to you. So don't tell them all your problems unless you've figured out how to make them funny. Yeah, and you'll know if they laugh. Right. And um, Every time. Not one time and then every other time you did it, they give groans or awkward silences. Right. And now, uh, I would say, video record your set. And that's the first step. Second step is to watch it. Uh, it will most likely be painful. If you've never recorded yourself standing on a stage telling jokes that you wrote and poured your heart into and watch them bomb in front of people and you watch it back on a video, if you've never done that, it's going to be hard. Get ready. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you say that with a big smile on your face. Well, it is. Get ready to cringe. It's going to be hard, but watch it. Because it's going to help you. Throughout times in my life with comedy, I've watched it and I go, oh, man, that's what I look like up there? What am I doing up there? And then I change those things. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we walk around in the world, but we don't have any idea how we come across to people. Yes. We only see ourselves when we look at ourselves in the mirror. Most people know what we look like better than we ever will. And I heard Joe Rogan say one time that it's really good for him to watch himself because he realizes how he comes across to people, what he looks like, the way he carries himself on the stage, the way he performs, all of that affects your delivery and how people take you in. So, you know, if you look sloppy and you don't like that and you think that's hindering you, clean up your your look, get a haircut, shave your beard, wear a nicer shirt. And I, would, and I would say this, too, on, on that note, um, where, uh, you know, I like to wear very, I don't know if neutral is the right word, but I, I wear all black most of the time. And I don't wear all black because I'm trying to be Johnny Cash or something like that. I wear it because it's a neutral color. Like, I just, I don't want to, like, I, I have friends and people do it. It's fine. Whatever you want to do is up to you. But I have friends that will wear funny shirts out on stage. But to me, I don't want any focus to be on anything but what I'm saying. You could argue that my hat is a funny thing that I'm wearing, but I think that if I had if I had been wearing the hat out of the gate, uh, that might be different. But I learned to write jokes before I did that. You know what I mean? And I'll, plus, I wear the hat all the time, actually. So it's not really it's not not a, like a gimmick. It's what I do all the time. No, um, I will say, like as a female comedian, uh, you know. It's always difficult for me to figure out what is it that I'm trying to be wearing on stage. And 
you know, I'm amazed when I meet female comics and they have no problem wearing high heels on stage. They like wearing dresses on stage. Some of my friends really prefer to kind of dress up and look really nice and, and, and kind of do that whole thing. And that makes them feel confident and that makes them feel good. Whereas I don't really like wearing heels on stage, although I do like wearing heels off stage as a person. And I, I prefer to wear nice clothes. Like I prefer to have makeup and my hair done and stuff, but I want to feel comfortable. I don't really want to feel sexy, but that's just me. And I know other female comics, for example, do like to feel sexy on stage. So on what you were saying, I would just say, I think you should just wear what makes you feel comfortable and what makes you feel confident. And for Dusty, it's, you know, a plain attire. And for someone else, it might be looking really fashionable because they're really into fashion. Well, I totally agree with that. A hundred percent. I I think um, my main point is like people will wear a, a shirt with a with a with a logo on it. That's like the logo in itself is meant to be humorous. Right. That's what I mean. Stay away from that. But I think you're right. I mean, it's finding what makes you comfortable. Some comics for a long time. And I honestly, I still like just wearing a black V-neck on stage. But I, I'm, you know, as I'm getting better shows, I, I want to look a bit nicer. So I try to, I try to wear a, 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 at least a button-up shirt. But the, you know, but some people like to wear suits. Some people like to wear ties. Who's that guy? Very funny, Joe Devito. When we were in um, uh, Kiowa, he wore a suit. Yeah, and uh, he looked good. He did. Uh, Megan, uh, is it Hanley? Yeah, uh, that was there. She wore a dress. She looked good. Uh, John Mulaney wears a suit. John Mulaney wears a suit. Jimmy Pardo, who I travel with, he doesn't wear a suit, but he always wears a nice blazer. Right. It's like, it's okay to look good. Well, another thing that I, I heard a long time ago when I was starting improv and I was uh, at the Second City and uh, a guy there said, you know, you want to look as good or nicer than the audience that's coming to see you. You know? And typically, I mean, in my experience, people going to comic clubs really don't dress up that nice white audiences don't black audiences look amazing um typically for club shows but but i do think it's like a sign of respect to to show up looking well i mean but i don't know because so many comedians these days really don't I, i i agree that it's good to look look well but i also i'm also on the standpoint of uh I like doing comedy because I get to dress how I want to dress. I think looking, I think being clean is number one. And, uh, you know, but I've also but I think seen that a lot of men think that I was also at the Hollywood improv and I saw, uh, who is it? Chris, uh, Chris, uh, is it Chris Hartwick? No, nah, like a famous guy. I don't know. Franjola? Nah, it doesn't matter. Now I can't think of his name, but he was wearing like a shirt that looked ripped up. And uh, he's very popular. People really like him. Maybe it's not even Chris. It uh, doesn't matter. But, Brad Pitt. <laughs> no, no. But people really like him. Women seem to like him. Chris D'Elia. Oh. That's who it was. And he was wearing a shirt that looked like it was ripped up. So it's like... Yeah, he always looks like he partied really hard the so, night before. So the attire is up to you. But the point is, be comfortable. Uh, and when you're watching your video, understand that you're going to be uncomfortable. And then after you've done comedy, after you've done comedy for your first time, ask yourself, did you have a good time? And did the audience have a good time? While you were on stage, would you say, we're having a good time? Because that's the important thing. You need to have fun. 
And you also need to make sure the audience is having fun. And if those things are happening, then you're on your way to enjoying comedy. Wow, I love that. I love that. And enjoying comedy is the first step because if you and now to be honest, you may not enjoy it for a while. I for a long time, I, this is what I enjoyed for a long time was writing a funny joke and then having that joke go well. I didn't actually enjoy being on stage telling it. I enjoyed the feeling I got after coming off stage knowing that it went well. But the only way I could get that feeling was to actually go up there and do it. But I didn't really enjoy being up there. Now I do. How long did it take you to enjoy the actual being on stage? Depending on the setting, years. Um, Being at a bar on stage, I don't know, a few months. I began to enjoy it pretty well after a few months, six months. But at a club, I I didn't do a club for six years before, you know, but a theater... I wouldn't really enjoy it being up there. I'll be too nervous, and I just was too focused. But but my nervousness, I could always overcome the nervous, nervousness by being prepared. But that's all for a different time. So that is week one of how to get started in comedy. That was great, Dusty. Thank you. Do you feel like there was anything that I missed? I, I can't possibly think that you could have. Great. Now, as always... My email is DustySlayComedy at gmail.com. If you have questions, email them to me. Uh, But chances are, if you just continue to listen, I'm going to cover everything that you could want covered in the weeks to come. But that is just my advice on going from not doing comedy to actually getting on stage and doing comedy. Now... Here's here's the last thing I'll say. I mean, uh, we covered this in just a, a, a podcast a couple weeks ago, but about doing a comedy class. Should you do it? Um, it just depends on if, if that makes you comfortable. Uh, I would say go to an open mic first and just see what you see how you can do. And then if you want to do the comedy class, go do it. Uh, I took improv classes before ever doing any comedy i did you know probably three uh different improv three levels of improv classes before i actually ever did stand-up comedy so uh and i think it helped me in a lot of ways but one of the main things it helped me do was it helped me to make friends in the comedy community so i went into doing open mics and doing stand-up with already a lot of friends already in the comedy community so my first you know time on stage i had a great support group of people that understood comedy now and uh you know and it's up to you whether you want to invite every person you know the first time you do comedy but just know this as you do comedy you're going to want people to come see you when you're really good so maybe don't invite them all the first time because you're going to want those people to come later when you're when you're um actually good yes does that make sense yes it does so maybe save it because if they come see you and you bomb especially if it's a bunch of friends from work and they come see you and you bomb you got to go back to work on Monday and see it. Yeah, and you might want to wait for you to really get that five minutes that you're super proud of and wait until you get on a show that you feel like, I could really rock this out, and invite them so it's a good time for them that they can kick back at this show yeah. 
and have a couple drinks and enjoy the whole night because you know the lineup's going to be good. Almost, almost picture it uh, like this: that you're working on, that you're painting something, and you're not ready to reveal it to everyone till you know until you're done completing that painting. And each time you go on stage, that's a session of painting. And if you're not a painter, maybe you've gotten a tattoo before that was so big that you needed separate sessions. You didn't want to show people the tattoo, really, until it was complete because they would look at you and they would judge you and they would go, oh, that's going to be there the rest of your life. But once the tattoo was complete, then you could see the work that you've done. So wait till your work is complete until you invite everyone you know. That's a great comparison. Thank you. And it felt true. Thank you. Because that's like this. Analogies are big in comedy. Just make sure your analogies make sense. Nothing bothers me more as an audience member than an analogy that isn't correct, especially when it's somehow motivated by some type of agenda where the the person on stage is trying to tell me something and make a point to me, and then I'm listening going, well, your facts are wrong. And your analogy is incorrect. Oh, my goodness. So, I've had so many car rides with Dustin. He's like, it's not even like ducks in the water. I don't even know why he's saying it's like ducks in the water. It's not like ducks in the water. It's more like mud in a sand lot. But it only takes a little time to just think, is my analogy correct? And if it's not, just come up with a new one. All right. That's it. What a great episode. That's Season it for advice two. for comics. Season so two. So we got we don't you know we don't have any specific time that we need to wrap it up. But I do want to talk about a couple of things. Do you still? I yeah. thought we could just wrap it up. Well, we could, but I, I would just like to say these things because we'll be riding wild fire. Hannah's been listening to a lot of different music, and she found someone called Janice Ian. And Janice Ian was a singer from the 70s. She's very good, very soulful. We don't have to play it if you don't want to. Okay. Unless you want to. Well, I like it. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, I'm actually leading up to playing a song that I like, but I don't, I'm not going to play the song. You're right. I, I've done enough talking on this podcast. <laughs> no, you can is what I'm saying. All I'm saying is... I want, you know, for me, I just got very excited about listening to someone that I hadn't listened to in a long time, and it, and and uh, country singer, and uh, but Janice Ian, who Hannah showed me yesterday, play a little something. Do you have something queued up? Yeah. Janice Ian uh, was. Well, so- well I'll take it from here, Dusty. Oh, okay. I'll take the Janice Ian cue. So I first discovered her because I've been watching um, original Saturday Night Live from the 70s. And, man, it was so cool and eclectic. And she was one of the performers on there. And I thought, wow, she's so melodramatic and earnest and poetic and just too much. Just, like, so heartfelt. Like, I absolutely loved it. And so I just started looking her up. And um, her big album was from 1975 called Between the Lines. And there's so many bangers on this. Um, but um, this is one song that I really like. But to really understand how like awesome this song is, you really just need to listen to the whole song. But uh, I'll just play it a little bit. The days are okay. I watch the TV in the afternoon. If I get lonely... The sound of other voices, other rooms near to me, not afraid. The operator, 
She tells the time it's good for a laugh. There's always radio, and for a time I can talk to God. Dial a prayer. Are you there? Do you care? Are you there? And in the winter. Okay. Uh, that's really great. That's really great. It's very melodramatic, very intense. As I was sharing that, I was like, wow, that feels like I'm really sharing my soul to people. And this right. very depressing song, but it's good. You know, I like it. So. Well, it's very good. We listen to several songs. I mean, it's very good. I like a lot of that stuff. I mean, I like a lot of soulful stuff. And sometimes it seems over the top, like sad or whatever. But you know what? That's, that's sometimes what art is. Yeah, and you know, it's great listening to... I mean, it really made me realize how bereft some songwriters are these days because when you listen to, you know, people from her generation and just her alone, I mean, I'd always heard of Joni Mitchell, but I'd never really gotten into Janice Ian, and she's fantastic. So, such an amazing storyteller and use of words and poetry. And so, I also think that that's a really great kind of inspirational way when you're writing material is to, you know, have that fluidity with words and language. And I, I honestly, I think that uh, songwriting and comedy has a lot in common. I think that because, uh, you know, and I should have said this, actually, but I'll get into that more as we go along. But um, the way that you say a joke is so important in the same way that writing a song. I mean, when you're writing a song and you want wor- you want lines that rhyme with the previous line, you need to end that sentence with the word that rhymes with the other word that ended the sentence, if that makes sense. So the same way for telling jokes. I mean, you want the part where you want people to laugh, you want that to be your last word. Yeah. And then pause. Give the audience an opportunity to laugh. It's very mathematical. Yes, but we'll get into that more. But that led me to someone, and, and Hannah was just asking about different people, and she's been making a playlist. And so I, I it reminded me of, uh, she was listening to some stuff off the uh, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack, which uh, has a really, really great soundtrack. And Alison Krauss was on there singing a song, and it, and it made me remember listening to some Alison Krauss. And she has a song called, or an album called Forget About It. I think it was out in... 1995 and it's you know it's a very you know uh you know sad kind of melodramatic album but really really good and then she has a a a few albums with a a band called uh, union station allison kraus and union station and they have a live album which is available on spotify and they have a song called the boy who wouldn't hoe corn right it sounds you know i get it it sounds super hillbilly but that song is so good. It's it's the one of the guys in the band is the uh, yeah 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 cue, cue it up here and uh, the one of the guys that's in the band I do not know his name but wow what a singer and um, and it has a long jam at the beginning but it it is just such a great song. Have you found it? Yeah. But the live version is the best. But I don't know what you're playing. That's fine either way. Oh, the live version? Yeah. I can't tell if it's live. Let's see. Let me see your phone there. All right. So, yeah, this is it right here. So it has a long instrumental, but I'm going to skip. And then... The reason why I never could tell For that young man was always well 
It's so good. I'm not going to play anymore. But listen to Allison Krauss and Union Station Live, The Boy Who Wouldn't Hoe Corn. It makes me happy to hear it. She has a song called Oh Atlanta, Forget About It, Maybe, uh, Ghost in This House. And she's most famous for covering, in my opinion, covering Keith Whitley's um, uh, oh, jeez. Down to the river? Nah, it's about, uh, uh, well, I don't know, it's about not speaking. Y- y- you know I love you without even having to say the words. <laughs> I can't remember the song, but it doesn't matter. And um, But yeah, check out Janice Ian, and that song I played was called In the Winter. Yes, Janice Ian and uh, Allison Krauss and Union Station. Check those out, and let's recommend comedy. I'm going to recommend, I've recommended this album before, but I'm going to go ahead and recommend Rodney Dangerfield, No Respect. I would say just listen to that album because Rodney Dangerfield, No Respect, to me, uh, now you're listening to, I was listening to it the other day and I was like, oh man, he could not say that stuff today. Some of it. But uh, but he's it, it still got a lot of, and it's a really great principles of set up punch, set up punch, set up punch in a way, and he and he's and he's doing a little self dep, he's doing self deprecation, but also from a, the standpoint of a very confident person, and and superb joke writer, and a superb joke writer, so good, yeah, so very tight, and that's my I'm going to recommend an old, and I'm going to recommend a relatively new. Uh, that I'd w- like to recommend someone too. Relatively new? Yeah. Okay, you go for the relatively new. You know what? I want to recommend Dave Stone. He okay. came to Nashville, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and um, I was one of the comedians in town that opened for him. And, you know, he really blew me away. I was, I really thought he was great. Um, and, I, I mean, you know, this sounds bad, but I see a lot of comedians, and they all are great. Like, they all do the job well, and they all make their audiences happy. But he's a great storyteller, and he has a, a, a wide repertoire of, of subjects that he talks about. And um, I was genuinely impressed by him. And, and you know, sometimes I'll tune out in the middle of someone's set and just play around in my own mind, you know. But I didn't at all with him. And so he's a, he's. He's from the South, but he lives in Los Angeles, and he, I know he tours a lot. I know he's he just, lived in a van for many years. Not anymore. He okay. doesn't live in a van anymore. Um, but he's really great. He does a podcast with Calcanine, the Boogie Monster. Um, so check him out if he's check out his his Instagrams and stuff. See if he's coming to a city near you because he's really good. All right, great. Well, thank you very much. Please send any any feedback, DustySlayComedy at gmail.com. I'd love to hear it. And uh, my website is DustySlay.com, Twitter, Instagram, at DustySlay, MissHannahHogan.com, no, HannahHoganComedy.com, at MissHannahHogan, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, check us out. My website, I just been, I've been updating it. I've been doing some stuff on it, and it looks pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about it. So go, go give that a browse. Check it out. See what you think. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, We're having a good time.